0: So we've been having a series on um, the church. In the first week, uh, Ben shared with us, um, Christ creates the church. And he, he started that by laying out some things about what the church is and maybe just as importantly, what it isn't. The Greek word, which is translated church, is the word Ekklesia, and it means an assembly of people who have been called out into a public place. So the church is made up of all those that the Lord has called out of this broken world and given to his son for his son's possession. Elsewhere in the scripture, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. We are the betrothed of the Lord. We sing in our worship song, He is mine, and I am his. The church is also called uh, the family of God, a city set on a hill, and the body of Christ. So one thing we do know, the church is not a building. It's a people. And when Christ looks down from heaven... He doesn't see a building, he doesn't see an institution, he doesn't see Catholics, Episcopalians, Baptists, Lutherans, Presbyterians. He only sees those men and women who, through his sacrifice on the cross, by God's kindness and love, were forgiven their sins, adopted solely by grace into the eternal family of God, and who by faith believe in their hearts he was raised from the dead and proclaim him, as Lord with their words and their lives. That's what he sees. So we also saw that Jesus was the cornerstone and a living stone, the scripture refers to him as. And that's kind of where this series gets its name, Cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the first stone that's laid when you're building a building. It establishes where the corner of a building is going to be, which establishes where the rest of the building is going to be. And every other stone, every other block that is laid, is set, is put on top of that stone, that cornerstone. And the Pharisees, who were the religious establishment of Jesus' day, rejected Jesus. And religious people will always stumble over Jesus because he's never quite what they expect. Let's read this, these verses real quick from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 11. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay in sto- a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that a wonderful promise? If you trust in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. Now to he- you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Pharisees rejected Jesus, and yet Jesus is the cornerstone upon which God planned to build everything. A stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. People are always tripping over Jesus. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, now he's talking about us, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are the called out ones, the ecclesia. We have been called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So that was our first week. Our second week, Ben covered a couple of the sacraments. The, the two that we celebrate, they're memorials, very important memorials, that which Christ established for us and by which we are to remember him and what he did for us. They remind us of the good news over and over again. Baptism is the first. And by baptism, we publicly proclaim him as our Savior. And we remember that when we received him in his spirit, something new and wonderfully different was birthed in us. A nature which actually desires to love God and worship and serve him. And we also remember that by walking in that new nature and following after him, we can daily deny the old nature that only wished to serve ourselves. And the second sacrament, communion, which we at Covenant celebrate every week when we get together. And in communion, we remember his sacrificial death for us, his body, like the bread broken on the cross so we can be unbroken and whole his holy innocent blood spilled on the ground because it was the price a just and holy God demanded for our rebellion against him. And through it, through that blood, we can now be reconciled and brought back into the eternal family of God. So this week, I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus as the head of the church and some things about what makes a healthy church in some things about ministry and government. First, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the church universal throughout all history and time and space. And we thank you for the church local covenant church. Thank you that you've made us part of your people, part of your family here in Bowling Green, Ohio. Thank you that you're leading us by your spirit. We trust in you. Thank you that wherever we're gathered together, you are in our midst. We know and experience you together in worship and service and fellowship as your people. Help us to make you known to this world and increase our power, our faith in your power to save and restore. In your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is the cornerstone by which the church universal and any local church in particular, like Covenant, is built, or should be built. Jesus is the head of the church. So let's look at these verses in Ephesians 1. Starting with verse 15. And Paul is... um, Writing here to the saints, the holy saints at Ephesus, as uh, the letter starts out. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. And that that's a great prayer. And um, what greater prayer can you pray for anyone that they might know him better? That's what we all want to do. We all want to know him better. So let's pray this continually and fervently for each other. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head, we are his body, and we are to fill the whole world with, as Habakkuk the prophet said, the knowledge and glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And some of us are reading a book together now called Saturate. Saturate. Think about that word. This is what Habakkuk is talking about. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would go out through the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. That his fullness would saturate everything, everywhere. So that's what... This is the saturation that the book Saturate is talking about. Another key verse regarding the headship headship of Jesus is in Colossians, and it's chapter 1, starting at verse 17. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The church is often referenced in the New Testament as the body of Christ. So what does it mean that Jesus is the head and we're his body? Why does Jesus need us to be his body? He has a body. A resurrected, eternal, immortal body. A holy person the son of man the son of god is sitting in heaven right now at the right hand of god the father we're told in colossians 3 since then you have been raised with christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god in hebrews 10 chapter or chapter 10 verse 11 Says day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Speaking about the Old Testament priests. And again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. And the scripture goes on to say, even, and this is amazing, that in the spirit, we're seated with him. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus So Jesus needs a body but not in heaven he has one there he needs one here on earth to be his arms and his hands and his legs and his feet and his eyes and his mouth and that's us we're his body why does he need a body here on earth he needs a body here on earth because of that to know Jesus and to make him known we want to make him known that's the work that he's given us to do so though in the spirit we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places we have business to attend to here on earth our business is in every place in every way through our acts through our words through our lives to introduce everyone to Jesus and to convince them not to come to Covenant Church, but to convince them that God loved them so much he sent his only son to die for them and that they can know God in a living, risen Christ through his spirit. And that is good news indeed. So, Our work of service, in short, is to convince people that God loves them That's surprisingly hard to do sometimes. And the reason it is, is because there's something twisted and perverse in us as people, as humans, that we want to earn our way to heaven. We want to say, well, if you ask someone if, you know, they're going to heaven, they might go, well, I'm a pretty good person, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But when the, Jesus, when the Pharisees came to Jesus, they said, they addressed him, they said, good teacher. And here's what Jesus said. He said, why do you call me good? There is no one truly good but God. So if Jesus wasn't willing to be called good, I don't know how well our goodness will stand up, probably not too well. So Jesus, why did he leave? This is an interesting question. I was thinking about this the other day. So Jesus came. He left the first time because he had to descend into the grave, and then he was resurrected. And then he was with his disciples for a while, and then um, he left again. So I was wondering, like, why did he leave? Why didn't he just stay? It would have made things so much simpler. He could have set up like a headquarters in Jerusalem. And, you know, people, it would be easy to tell people about Jesus. We'd just go, he's over there. He's that guy right there, you know. But he didn't. He went back to his father. And he gives us a clue about this in John chapter 14 and 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, and that is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you'll realize I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever keeps my commandments is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So, one of the reasons Jesus had to leave, had to go away, was so that he could send the Holy Spirit. See, if Jesus had stayed, God, throughout all of history, has wanted to relate to us as his children, as his creatures through faith. He wants us to believe in him. And this is true not only for us today and for the people who lived in Jesus's time, but also for the saints of the Old Testament. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So God has always wanted to deal with us through faith. Well, if Jesus had stayed, there would have been no faith involved. I mean, he would have just been right there. And if he needed any proof, he could have done some wonderful, amazing thing. So God wants us to have faith in him. If Jesus had stayed in his resurrected um, body, there wouldn't have been that faith. The word advocate here, by the way, that's used for the Holy Spirit is this Greek word, parakletos. And it's translated in various places as counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, encourager. It's the one who's called alongside to help. So Jesus went away, but as the scripture says, he didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the head of the church, he resides in heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. But he is present in the church through his Holy Spirit. It says in Matthew eighteen twenty, where there are two or three who have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. He's in our midst today. We've gathered here in his name. He's in our midst today by his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So how is the body of Christ on earth, are we supposed to function? What's it look like in practice? Well, first of all, we're geographically spread out all over the place. All over the world, you'll find gatherings of the ecclesia. There's large gatherings and small gatherings a lot of cultural differences and differences in some particulars of belief and different ways. The believers practice different things. But we're all the ecclesia. It's one faith, it's one baptism, it's one spirit that we're all called to. Like I said, when Jesus looks down, he only sees one church. period. It's his bride. But in addition to that ecclesia, there's also the local church. And this is why a lot of the books of the New Testament are named after places. Because they're written to churches in these places. So you have like Rome and Ephesus and Colossae, Galatia. All places where there were local gatherings of the church. Covenant Church is part of the local expression of the church universal in Bowling Green, Ohio. We are not the church in Bowling Green Ohio we're part of the church That's kind of an important distinction to make sometimes we're not seeking to follow Christ alone but together and the New Testament continually describes the church as a family we're to be more than an organization we're to be a living organism brought to life by the breath of God his Holy Spirit We're more than just some members of an institution whose founder is commemorated by some statue or bronze bust in the lobby, you know, where they finally remember him. But we're part of God's church, and our head is alive and well. Jesus is not our team mascot, He's our Lord. And he's very much active in heading and ruling his church by his spirit. So here's a passage that I think gives us a good picture of what this healthy body of Jesus, this body of Christ, is supposed to be doing and what it looks like. And it's in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you've been called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all Who is over all and through all and in all? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, "When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people." What does he What does he ascended mean? That he but that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended high into all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, and this is a key verse, to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's a beautiful picture of the way the body of Christ is supposed to be functioning in the earth. Each one of us has grace given as Christ has apportioned it. And all these gifts, these ministry gifts, that god gives to the church he gives for a reason he gives these gifts to equip his people for works of service what is this calling that paul is talking about in the beginning here he says live a life worthy of the calling you've received now i thought only preachers and ministers and pastors and evangelists and missionaries and maybe priests and nuns, I thought only they had like, a calling. You know, That's kind of like what's, what you hear taught. It's what religious tradition teaches us. Uh, it's not what the scripture teaches. And it's not at all in keeping with how Jesus wants the church to work. Every one of us has a call to be a minister of Jesus Christ on earth. We're all called to share his good news with everyone. We're all called to serve him in all that we do, employing whatever gifts and abilities he has given us and wherever he has placed us. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. There's a lot of distinctions in the church that have crept up over time and over history between clergy and laity. And in many cases, they're misguided, and in some cases, I think they're actually harmful to the mission and purpose of the church. Now, that may sound radical, but if you go and read the New Testament and let the teachings of Christ be your guide and the apostles, I think you'll see it's it's not really all that radical. So what are these gifts that Paul is speaking about and Ephesians, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I don't have time to teach on all of them individually or or the other gifts in terms of what they do. Maybe we can explore that in a series like in the future. But I'm going to propose that they and any other ministries which Christ has given to his church are about one thing and one thing only. And that's found in verse 12 of the passage I just read. To equip his people for works of service. That's you. So perhaps a traditional view of the church is that there's a pastor or other professional who is hired and we pay a salary to and they go out and they do the works of service. And we cheer them on, you know, go. But that's not what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that that pastor or that teacher or that person is to equip us for the work of service. Each one of us. Each one of us exercising that gift that the grace of God has apportioned to you. That's the model that we're given in scripture. And it's the model that we really embrace here at Covenant. God has called us all to do the work of service. We value the gifts of ministry that God has given to us. Brother Ben is a tremendous blessing to us. Where is he? Um, But he would agree. We didn't hire him to do the works of service. We hired him to help prepare us to do the works of service. Just like Allison's job is not to raise your kids to follow Christ. have kids are our own to raise. That's your job. And it's not Greg's job to worship the Lord for us up here and somehow we have some sort of vicarious experience where we sit out and we watch him worship. No. He's helping us, facilitating us doing the worshiping. So... Maybe there's a subtle nuance here, but without understanding that, then the church becomes, you become spectators and consumers. And I'm up here delivering content like HBO or Netflix or something, and you're sitting out there and you pay your subscription every month and you get to watch. That's not how the church really was meant to work. So, There are also many other gifts. There's just a few of them. (laughs) Let's go through these individually. No. (laughs) That ain't going to happen. But you can see there's a, a large diversity of gifts that are spoken of in the New Testament. All these gifts, all these apportionments of grace that God has put into our lives. You have a gift that God has given you. You may not know what it is or you may actually be recognized or exercising it and not even recognize that you're exercising the gift that God's given you there's many gifts besides just the named gifts ultimately all these gifts working together make for a healthy body of Christ there's a great interdependency of all these gifts on each other And 1 Corinthians 12 talks about these interdependencies in a metaphorical language of the body. It's the part that talks about because I am not a hand, I do not. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, or for that reason it would stop being a part of the body, the ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Each part of the body is needed. The ear needs the hand and the hand needs the eye. and We all need each other. We all need all of those gifts that God has put in the body to be working together. Whereas the last part says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now think about this. What if one of the primary reasons for these gifts is not only to do what they do, but also to teach us to do what they do. So that a person with a gift of caring for others, a pastoral gift, not only cares for others, but he or she also mentors us in how to care for others. What if a teacher not only delivers a message... But he helps us learn how to teach others about Jesus. What if a person with the gift of hospitality not only is hospitable, but through their example and through what we can learn from them teaches us to be more hospitable and so forth throughout all these gifts. You want to learn about hospitality? Go hang out with Bev Spencer for a few days. (laughs) There's a lot to learn there. So see what I'm saying? Not only do we exercise our gift, but in our giftedness, we are helping other people to exercise that gift. All of us should be able to teach. All of us should be hospitable. All of us should be able to prophesy. All of us should be able to do these things. Perhaps that isn't the the main gift that God has given you, but it's something that all of us should, should learn to do as we share the gospel and as we function as a body. So just something to think about. And in addition to doing what they do, these gifts also teach us to do what they do. So I want to conclude just by talking a little bit about government. Um, And government is also a gift. Jesus is head of the Church Universal and the head of the church, local, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. And one of the things gifts that he gives to the church is under shepherds. And those and that gift involves leadership, administration, and governance. There's many ways that that functions in practice. Just as the ministry of the church comes from a plurality of gifts, we believe that the government of the church. Comes from a plurality of leaders. There's no one person who's the leader of Covenant Church, although we have many gifted leaders. In terms of oversight and accountability for ministry, day-to-day affairs, and watching out for the church, Covenant has historically been governed by a plurality of elders. And I don't know how well you can see that. I guess it's big enough. Um Let me just talk a little bit about this diagram. First of all, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And all of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other categories may be a person who is paid to do work for the church. And that may be full or part-time or they may do work for the church and be unpaid and that may also be full or part time. So out of those full or those those pastors, ministry leaders or staff members who are full or part time and unpaid pastors, ministry leaders or staff members they may also serve as elders. But there're two separate roles. That is the service in government as an elder is not necessarily connected to the ministry function that they exercise in the church. As an example, Ben is our pastor of community life. He is not an elder. He's on his way to becoming an elder, we hope. He's been meeting with us and is an elder in training. But he's not an elder. Uh, He's not in that government role, but he very much is in a pastoral ministry role. So I just wanted to show you that to kind of lay out um, what our particular practice is in terms of ministry and government. And if you've got questions, other questions about that, definitely come talk to me. Some I'm not sure exactly how clear that is. Um, looks kind of complicated, but it's really not. And last of all, I wanted to talk about um, our documents, governmental documents. Uh, if you get the newsletter, how many of you get the newsletter? Oh, good. Boy, I'm glad to see that. Um, we talked a little bit about it in the last newsletter. By the way, thanks to Nancy Airden and to Greg for doing that for us. They do a great job. Um, we've talked a little bit about this. We're working on rewriting our um, our statement of faith, our Constitution, and our articles of incorporation. Um, we've been around as a church for 40-plus years, and over that time, our organizational documents have kind of evolved organically and been kind of a patchwork of all kinds of documents from the past, and Victor, our beloved attorney and beloved brother, has been after us for a number of years to tidy things up a bit there, so we've been working hard on that, and it's basically three documents. One is the statement of faith which is a concise statement of what we believe and hold in common as a church. The other is a constitution which has more detail about how things work, and then the articles of incorporation are basically for the state of Ohio's consumption. So, I just wanted to bring that up because we we are going to be publishing that to all the members of the church in the next month or so, and uh, to give to get some input and then our desire is sometime in the fall to have a congregational meeting where we would all ratify those documents again and that would form a good foundation for us going forward in the future so um i just wanted to mention that so jesus is the head we're the body you're part of the body god has given you a gift to exercise god is equipping you to do the works of service And uh, that's really what I want you to take away from today. And it's something that we believe in very much at Covenant Church. And we are trying always, I know the elders and all the ministry, is trying to help people find out what their gifting is and where they can actually serve the Lord. And um, I think there's some exciting things in that area that are going to be happening uh, as we get further along with the Saturate book. For those of you who are reading that and uh, if you're not part of a a saturate uh, group i would encourage you to maybe consider joining one Um, i know the one that we have we've been having a great time of fellowship and um, let's pray father we again thank you for bowling green covenant church we thank you for your grace for the love that you have shown us for your guidance by the holy spirit we thank you for him the advocate who has come alongside to help. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us. Thank you for his presence with us. And we just uh, ask your blessing upon the works that we do in your name. We pray that all that we do might help us to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.